This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Amen. Well, good morning, Grace Bible Church. I think it's still morning. Yeah, it's not quite noon. Almost there. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and please remain standing. We'll go ahead and read that in, in just a moment. And while you're turning there, I'll take a moment to thank the elders. Um, I'm humbled uh, by this opportunity to, to be able to preach uh, Jesus uh, to you all this, this morning from his word. Uh, for those of you who do not know, I am Michael Sinelli, and I am the young adult and worship minister here at Grace Bible Church, and the regular preaching pastor is uh, not here right now. He's on sabbatical for a few months, getting some much-needed rest after these last couple of years, um, and so he's able to take a break here. So several of us have been preaching through the book of Colossians throughout the summer, uh, and the series title is uh, The Hope of Glory, Seeing Christ as the Hope of Glory for Us. Well, would you look at uh, Colossians chapter three for our text this morning, verses one through four, and follow along with me. Hear the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Would you pray with me one last time? Father, we thank you for your ever-abiding word that does not change because you do not change. Father, we ask that uh, by your spirit, uh, you would not only illumine our, our minds and open our eyes to understand this text, but that you would uh, open up our hearts that, Father, we would increase in our affections for Jesus. Help us to see him more clearly. Help us uh, to love him more dearly, we pray. And in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm sure many of you have uh, heard the illustration go before that compares a temporary dwelling place like a hotel room uh, to a permanent dwelling place like your, your forever home, right? Uh, you wouldn't spend time and money and energy uh, remodeling your hotel room. Right? You don't show up there for your three-night stay at the Hilton and, and then walk in and go, you know, I just don't like these curtains so much and start yanking them off the wall and you, ah, that brightens up the place a bit and you give a call to your, your contractor and say, yeah, I got a bath job here. Just, I really don't like the tiles and you just start ripping those off, off the wall. No, we wouldn't do that. It's silly. It's silly. Um, but it's a helpful illustration as far as it helps us to remember that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And the more we realize that, the less concerned about earthly and 
worldly and temporal things we will be. And the more we realize that, the more concerned about eternal things, spiritual matters, we will be. It's a helpful illustration. It's talking about a shift in, in our perspective, a shift in, in how we view life and how we, how we think. Well, Paul has been seeking to do a similar thing uh, for the Colossian church in this, in this book, but par- particularly helping us to orient our lives, shift our perspective toward a person, Jesus, Jesus Christ, and who he is and what he has done for us. In chapter one, Paul has uh, painted a, a glorious portrait uh, of Jesus, that he's the creator of all the universe, that he's the head of, of the church. Um, he helps us understand who Jesus is in his glory and explains that this is what his ministry has been about, uh, that he would share this, this, this mystery that's now been revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he says in chapter one. And so it's Christ, he says, that he proclaims. It's Christ that he proclaims. In chapter two, he says, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, just as you've received this, this Christ that I just painted a picture of for you, so walk in him. The Christian life is, is meant to be lived with Christ as the great umbrella over, over all these things. So walk, walk in him. Um, that's where the rubber meets meets the road, and so he begins to uh, attack these, these false teachings uh, that have been in the Colossian church that all at the core emphasize earthly matters, the things of this world, that this world is, is the source of, of wisdom, uh, that by denying yourself things in this world, you can become more holy, more acceptable before the living God. Um, and so he makes his argument. No, no, no. Christ is sufficient for these things. Christ is sufficient for these things. And now in, in our section, in chapter three, uh, we're at the turning point in this book. Uh, the hinge, if you will, between the, the theological, look at who Jesus Christ is and how he is sufficient for you, and the practical from verses five and, and following, he's gonna get into the practical matters of what it looks like to live the Christian life. Verse five, putting to, to death the deeds of the flesh, and, and, and then goes on, putting what, what sort of things are we to put on? What does it look like to be a Christian in a church? What does it look like to be a Christian in your home and in this world? Um, but our section here is, is the hinge between the two. Uh, and here, Paul kinda, takes all that he has said about Jesus and brings it to this place and helps us to orient our lives, our entire lives, around this Jesus that he's just been teaching about. Perhaps another illustration uh, would be helpful uh, in making these connections. Some of you here are are parents. Others, uh, maybe not. You've you've watched kids before and, and the rest of you at some point, I'm, I'm assuming you were a child, so maybe, maybe you'd be able to connect with this illustration. Um, and hear me out. Children sometimes lack the motivation to do pretty simple things in this life. Um, 
this, this, honestly, this is not just children. I think adults do this as well, right? We often just lack the motivation to do simple tasks in life, like you know, unloading a dishwasher, <laughs> um, cleaning up your toys after you've just made a wreck of the home, uh, right? They often uh, struggle with this. And, and as parents, you, you have, well, you got the carrot and you got the stick. You've got positive reinforcement and you got negative reinforcement and we're trying to guide children and, and motivate them towards certain things in their lives. And, and you'll find, and probably even for yourself, you'll find it a lot, a lot easier uh, to get them to work through the task if there's something that you can tell them that will increase their motivation and, and shift their perspective a little bit. Shift, shift their perspective on things. Uh, like, when you're finished cleaning your room, we'll get to go to grandma's house. There it is, grandma. Whoa, a shift in their world. Grandma, suddenly toys are flying into buckets and things are moving around and they're running around making their bed and Mary Poppins shows up and the clothes are folding and they're going out everywhere. Two minutes go by and the whole place is done. Right, what once was taking 30 minutes to get this thing going, two minutes and boom, the room, the room is clean. A shift in perspective uh, has taken place and it's set on grandma here uh, in the illustration. Uh, this is what we need in the Christian life, is it not? As adults even. Um, we need a shift in perspective in the Christian life and that shift is the source of motivation the source of, of empowerment, uh, for what? Well, to walk in obedience. To walk in obedience in this life. To walk with, with joy through trials, difficult times, hardships in your life. To walk with, with hope, hope through life. Well, in our text here in chapter three, the believer is called to be oriented toward Christ. Oriented towards Christ with, with two things, both a Christ-focused pursuit in life and a Christ-focused perspective. A Christ-focused pursuit and a Christ-focused perspective. You know, the, the terminology Christ-centeredness has been a slogan of the church, at least um, in the evangelical world and in some of the mainline uh, denominations uh, for the past couple of decades, just that, that phrasing, Christ-centeredness, Christ-centeredness, and there's Christ-centered everything. You, there's a book on Christ-centered preaching, Christ-centered worship, Christ-centered parenting, Christ-centered business, and, and I'm sure it's out there, you know, Christ-centered auto mechanics or something. I, don't, I haven't seen it, but, but you know, who knows? There's, I'm sure, uh, something out there. Um, and it can become just this, this rote thing that's, that's just tacked onto a bunch of things, but, but this isn't just some Christian cliche, this isn't just some, uh, some slogan. Uh, we need this. Uh, the church has always been about this. Here, and, and Paul demonstrates it for us. Uh, we, need, we need a Christ-oriented life. Um, that's what we need. To walk, yes, through trials, to walk in obedience. We need a Christ-oriented life. And, and God in his kindness, God in his kindness, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Has he not? Amen, he has. Um, and we find that, he says, every spiritual blessing is in him, right, in Christ. That's where we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in, in Jesus. We need a Christ-oriented life 
to walk through uh, this life here on earth. So first, the first thing, the Christian life is to be marked by a Christ-focused pursuit of spiritual realities. Look again at verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Our passage has two imperatives, two commands here. Seek the things that are above and set your mind, right? And so this is the first. First, seek the things that are above. Literally, seek the above things. Seek, seek the aboves, he's saying. Um, the false teachings primarily focused not on above things, but on earthly things, right? The elemental things of this world, the elemental spirits or principles of this world, rules uh, pertaining to, to things that are gonna burn up and perish and be gone uh, in, in the end. Human precepts and teachings and ideas and, and philosophies, um, all these things claiming to, to be able to bring them to the heavenly places, the, to be able to draw them nearer to God, to, to make themselves more holy and, and even have the power to defeat sin and the flesh in our lives. Uh, but Paul says, in contrast, no, seek, seek the things above. Look up, seek, that is, take aim at. Take aim at these things, aspire to, to these things. It involves your, your ambitions, your pursuits, your volition, your will, your goals, how, how you see your purpose in life. Seeking the things above means, means orienting our, our aspirations and our desires according to spiritual reality. We're, we're aiming upward, aiming upward. Uh, not in the sense that we're, we're seeking to acquire these things. Uh, in Paul's theology, you already have every spiritual blessing. You already have all of it. You have the forgiveness of sins. You are holy before the living God. You have it all in Christ. It's all yours already but our pursuits and our dreams, our ambitions ought to have these spiritual realities informing and guiding and orienting our lives. Jesus says something similar, right? This is nothing new to Paul. Uh, in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek those things. See Christ as king over all things. See Christ sitting on his throne. See, see him as the one who's building his kingdom here on this earth and be about those things. Live your life with that as the umbrella over your life. Seek first the kingdom of God, he says. Uh, we may ask Paul here in this context then, well, Paul, what things above? Seek the above things. Uh, a little vague, Paul. Uh, well, uh, he tells us. Uh, what sort of spiritual things uh, he, has, he has specifically in mind. He's not asking us to aim at every spiritual thing. If you're aiming at everything, you're aiming at nothing, right? Uh, if you're focused in on everything somehow, you're focused on, on nothing. And so he, he zeroes it in. Um, and here he gives us two spiritual realities, two spiritual realities to help us reorient our pursuits in life uh, to Christ. And both of them having to do with Christ who he is and what he has done for us and what we have in him. So the first one is in the first phrase. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, 
seek the things above. If then you've been raised with Christ, uh, seeking is, is conditioned upon this, this first spiritual reality. The believer has been united to Christ in his resurrection. You've been united to Christ in his resurrection, uh, which is, gives you new life, have given you new life, is, has caused you to be born again, and you have this new spiritual life. Uh, here in this context, our, our union with Christ in his resurrection, he's not arguing for um, our future resurrection. He, he does that elsewhere in the book of Romans or uh, 1 Corinthians 15, for example, that us being united to Christ in his resurrection means that we will have a future resurrection. That's not what he's talking about here. Here he puts it in the past tense. This is something you've already experienced. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. This is something you've already experienced. You know, notice the, the then there. He's, he's building an argument here from last week, from chapter, from chapter two. So look at chapter two, verse 12 and 13. This is what he said in regards to our, our connection to Christ, our union with Christ in his resurrection. He says that we've been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Um, that's what baptism, one thing that baptism images for us, that we've been connected to Christ, united to him in his death and his burial and his resurrection. Um, and there he says um, that uh, we have uh, been connected to his resurrection, and this has granted us new, new life, uh, new life. You and I, by faith, he says in Jesus, and by the powerful working of God, have been united to Jesus, vitally connected to him, so that we have been given this new life in his resurrection. He's made us spiritually alive. The Bible says this in other ways, right? We are new creations, we're alive to God, born again into this newness of life. We have eternal life now, not just in the end, but now because of Jesus and his death, burial, and his resurrection. And here he's focused on the resurrection. Uh, this is a spiritual reality that helps us uh, orient our lives, our lives Christward, orient our pursuits and our ambitions Christward. Uh, you're alive in Christ. You've been given new life. You're a new creation. Uh, orient your, your, your ambitions with that knowledge. Uh, orient your ambitions with that spiritual reality in mind. Um, the second spiritual reality uh, that Paul points out here draws us in specifically to Christ's person and, and his current ministry. He says, seek the things above where Christ is. Where Christ is. This is why we've said it's a, it's a Christ-focused pursuit. Uh, we're not just pursuing these spiritual realities in general, it's Christ-focused. It's where Christ is, not just any above things. He's like, look, look to him, look to Jesus. Paul desires that we orient our, our lives primarily under the knowledge of who Jesus is. Uh, look, look at him, he says. Well, what particularly about Christ does he have in mind in this context? Well, he tells us he's seated at the right hand of God. 
he's seated at the right hand of God. Uh, he's picking up this theme that, that's all the way from back from uh, Psalm 110, verse, verse one that says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This theme is picked up on, and, and throughout all, all the scriptures and it's here, you heard it read, uh, when, or we read it all together in Hebrews um, chapter 12 and it's here. Christ is seated on his heavenly throne. He's seated there. Um, not only has, has Christ died for you, not only has be, he been raised for you, but Jesus has ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is seated in a position of power, in a position of prestige, in the position of influence. That's where he is. And, and Christian, he's, he's not just, just there for himself. He's not, I mean, you heard, he's, he's made his enemies his footstool. You're not meant to think, well, he, he, okay, now I've got that set up, and let me just, let me just kick my feet back, and, and Jesus just, well, now it's on you. I did my work, and it was tough work. Now it's on you. Good luck. No, he's seated there for you and for me. Uh, that's where, where he is, and he's there as, as the mediator between God and man, um, our mediator. He's there, uh, as he said earlier in chapter one, as the head of the body, the church, right? He's, he's our head. He's the very source that, that we receive life in all things. He's there as your great high priest, right? He intercedes for you and I, the book of Hebrews says. And, and so he's, he's, our, he's our access to the living God. You have free access now to, to walk into the throne room of God and, and speak with him and ask him for help. Um, that's yours in Christ because he's seated there, because he is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. Are you filled with, with shame at times? You've, you, you've just brought low because of your sin? He says, look up. Look up, see Christ seated at the right hand of God. See him there. Uh, he's seated there as, as your Lord and your King, the one who's ruling over the cosmos. Uh, that's who Jesus is, and he's that for you. He, he's up there seated as your chief shepherd. He knows his sheep. He knows his little lambs, the things they face, their hardships, and he feeds them. He cares for them. He nourishes them, he leads them, he guides them, he protects them. Um, what are your ambitions? What are your ambitions? What, what are your goals in life, your desires, your, your, your big aims? What are the things you're after? Well, what about when you're, when you're facing trials? What realities orient your life in those moments? Is it these, the sp these spiritual realities? That you've been given new life in Christ? That he is seated at the right hand of the Father for you? You see, these, these things are immensely practical. Um, Paul wants us to reorient our lives, our ambitions, our choices. Yeah, we, we need work. Be ambitious, get, get that job. You, 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 we need these things. You, you have purposes in life and goals, but what's the anchor? What's the anchor? What's the thing that, that, that is driving you in a singular 
direction. Jesus wants you to, to look upward, to look Christward, to look to him, to see him as the one seated, seated there for you. So we gotta orient our, our, lives, our life's pursuits according to these spiritual realities. You know, I've been um, getting interested in, in some of the, the current, uh, today's space race. You know, it's, it's moved from, you know, Russia versus the United States, who's gonna get to the, you know, uh, but to, to now, you know, private companies uh, doing these things and, and trying to advance uh, space travel and exploration. And one of the private companies that's been doing that has been SpaceX, headed up by uh, Elon Musk. And every, every company, but in particular uh, this, this SpaceX, every company needs a vision statement, a, a purpose statement, something that anchors them on their one, one singular ultimate goal. And it's that vision statement that, that'll cut things out, that uh, different jobs that they may take. D- does this help us maintain this? Okay, then no, no, we won't, we won't take on that job. Um, that's what a vision statement helps a company do. Um, that's what a purpose statement does. Um, and SpaceX, for them, it's, it's, in the next couple decades, we want a manned mission to Mars. Uh, and so if this doesn't help us get there, then, then no, we're not taking that job. Uh, but they do, they get these jobs from NASA and, and it's helping them build better and better rockets and they're advancing and their, their desires to get there and eventually have, have a colony of people on Mars. That's, that's his plan. Um, I probably won't be there. They, they, that colony, they probably will need a pastor. So I don't, maybe, one, maybe one of you can go be a missionary to Mars, you know? Uh, who knows? But, but they ha- that's their vision statement, right? And that's what anchors them and it gets repeated so that, that every riveter who's, who's riveting together sheet metal, every uh, uh, engineer who's, who's making these plans to the very ad- administration, they, they know that's the goal. They know that's where they're headed and it motivates and keeps them all on track. You've been given new life in Christ and Jesus is seated at the right hand of God for you. He says, seek the things above. Have that be your anchor point. Have that be what, what, what drives you. Yes, you're gonna have different jobs. You know, you're not gonna probably be riveting sheets of metal together, but you're, you're gonna have different jobs and different things to do in life. Have them all. Have them all anchored to, to, to the main thing. Who is Jesus? Who is he for you? Um, have those things uh, be what ultimately drive you. So the Christian life, is to be marked first uh, by a Christ-focused pursuit in life, a Christ-focused pursuit. Second, the Christian life is to be marked by a Christ-focused perspective, Christ-focused perspective. Look at verse, verse two. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So this is the second command, right, uh, in, our, in our section. The second way we are to orient our lives toward Christ is by having our minds now set on the things above. Um, Paul is particular to this, to this world, word here for, for think. He, he uses it 23 times out of the 26 times in the New Testament. Um, so mostly Paul in his letters, he, he uses this word and uh, he enjoys using it. Uh, the command here for, for this thinking, it's, it's well translated here to set your minds on, but other translations perhaps, uh, give your minds to, 
Some have translated it. Constantly fix your thoughts on. Orient yourselves toward. Keep thinking about. Keep thinking about. As one commentator put it, it's suggesting a a habit of the mind, a regular habit of the mind, something we have to continually, continually do. The call is for God's people to continually set and then reset and then reset again uh, our minds on the things above. And again, particularly on on Christ uh, and who he is and what he is for us. Uh, Setting your mind on on things above involves maintaining a mindset, maintaining a mindset, a perspective, a worldview, a way of thinking about life that is consistent with these spiritual realities he's pointing out. That's consistent with those things rather than uh, with just simply the earthly conditions we live in, what's going on in your life, life here. Uh, Paul, again, is contrasting the Christian message uh, with that of the false teachers um, from chapter two, as we saw. They're preoccupied with earthly things and earthly matters. Christians are to be preoccupied with the heavenly things, uh, particularly with Christ and who he is. Uh, remember Paul in um, Philippians chapter three, he says something similar there. Um, and uh, from, from 12 to 16, he's talking about straining for what lies ahead and forgetting what lies behind. And he says in, in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. He, he wants us to be thinking a certain way here. And then he begins to t- talk about people who aren't thinking this way. And he says this about them in verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. I mean, not like they actually worship their belly, but um, their desires, their appetites is what rules them. Uh, And they glory in their shame, and listen to this, with minds set on earthly things. Their minds set on earthly things. And then he contrasts it. But our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our citizenship uh, is found, uh, is our perspective on life encompassed by Christ, where our savior is in heaven. Is that how we think about our lives? Their minds, he says, were set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now this time, uh, Paul offers three spiritual realities connected to Christ to inform our heavenly perspective here. Three spiritual realities, three things that are of above, um, and again, namely about Christ. The first one is causal, that is, why set my mind on things above and not things on the earth? Well, he says, because the believer is united with Christ in his death, that's why. He says, back in Colossians, he says, for you have died, for you have died. Again, in the context, we have to read this in context. This harkens back to his argument in chapter two. If you look at chapter two, verse 20, he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in this world, do you submit to regulations? We have died. 
course, not in a physical sense, right? He's, he is indeed writing a letter to human beings who can read it. They're not dead. Um, he's talking spiritually. Spiritually, you have died to the things of this world. You, you've been separated, cut off from the power and the bondage of sinful flesh, from the spiritual forces of wickedness, their, their dominion over you. Has, you've been cut off from that. You are no longer blinded by, by the devil. You've been delivered out of, he said in chapter one, the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's who you are. You've died to those things. You've died to those things. You've been cut off from those things. Your union with Christ in his death has certainly, as he, as he said in chapter two, um, purchased for you forgiveness of sins. But it also has purchased for you, he says, freedom, being cut off and free from enslavement to sin. You've been redeemed. You have victory, we saw last week, over the enemy in Christ. Think of a parallel passage or some of the similar ideas in Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There again, the picture of baptism. We were buried and therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse six, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from, from sin. You've been cut off from those things, he says. So the first spiritual reality that gives shape to a Christ-focused perspective in life is that we've, we've died to sin in Christ. You're connected to Christ in that, and it's freed you from enslavement to sin. His point is, what, why would you keep looking to earthly things to free you from sin? If you already have Christ, you've been cut off from, from sin's dominion and power over you. Uh, you've been cut off from sin in that way. Why would you keep looking to the earth? Philosophies of this world, setting up new rules for yourself just to try to get yourself out of it. Um, no, you have Jesus. He says, look, look to Christ. You know, look into the things of this world in order to put to death the deeds of the flesh in your life. Uh, it's kind of like if I handed you a pair of scissors. Scissors, I can't say that. Scissors. And now th think of, not like big pruning shears, think of the, the scissors you, you give to kids where it's like rounded on the edge and you're like, it like folds paper and you're like, ah. Okay, think of that, those pair of scissors. It's like I, I handed those to you and I said, uh, would you go ahead and mow this lawn? And it, it's like a thousand acres. 
and you're like, okay, you get out there and you start snip and snip and snip, and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm getting, the, I've, I've gotten the angle on the blade in order to like best not fold the blades, but, but actually snip them, and you get going, and by the end of the day, you're like, ah, that's a pretty good section. That was a good day of hard work, and, and you know what? I'm, by, by the time you're a third of the way through that one acre, probably the grass is already growing back up behind you, and you, you just can't keep up. You know, it's going to look like you had some success for a couple of days, and you start measuring things back there, and they're all long again. Uh, it's useless. Going back to the, to, to the things of this world in, in order to defeat sin in your life, uh, he says, is, is useless. Why are you going back there? You have Jesus. You have Christ. These things are ineffective, he says, against the flesh, the things of this flesh. Don't go back to those things. So that's the first uh, spiritual reality here in this section uh, to inform our heavenly perspective. The second, he says that believers, the believer's life is hidden in Christ. The believer's life is hidden in Christ. Back in our text in Colossians, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in Christ. Orient your life on earth here by, by turning your attention and perspective, your thoughts toward Christ, because your life isn't bound here. Your life is, is hidden in Christ. Your life is in Him. Not only do you have new life, but this new life is in some ways concealed, hidden in Him. At first glance, you, you and I don't look too much different than our, than our neighbors and our coworkers. Uh, we don't look all that different. But spiritually speaking, and in a real sense, we're alive in Christ. And they're dead in their sins if they don't have Christ. And we are now, today, connected to Christ who is our head in the heavenly places. It's hidden not in the sense that we, we can't know that we're alive or haven't experienced any of this life, um, but it's hidden because, it, well, it's invisible. As invisible as, as God himself is uh, to us, uh, only apprehended by, by the eyes of faith, by the eyes of faith. Um, Paul draws a, a similar connection uh, to our connection to Christ in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, verse four through six says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, he says. And, and here's a part, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You and I are so identified with Christ by faith that his death is our death, his resurrection, our new life, and his being seated before the, the Father, our being seated uh, with him. Yes, it's hidden in some ways, and in a lot of ways mysterious uh, to us because we haven't experienced it in its fullness yet. That's to come, and he's gonna talk about that in a moment. 
but we live, as the theologians say, in the already not yet. That's the stage we, we live in. But not only this, that our, our life is hidden in Christ. Paul also wants us, us to see that um, Jesus is just, he's our everything. He's everything for us. That he not only says our life is concealed with him, but that he is our life. He goes on to say in verse four in our passage, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Christ is the very source of new life and eternal life. He is the very core of our spiritual existence that apart from him, we have nothing but sin and the consequence of sin, death, and ultimately, in the end, without him, eternal death. We're nothing without him Just as in Christ, he said earlier in chapter two, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, so also is eternal life and all that that entails for us. It's connected to Jesus. John would say in 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. In a room this size, and and those perhaps watching online, I have to say, do you have Christ? Do you know this Jesus? Children in this room, kids, have have you turned to Jesus and trusted him as, as the only one who can take care of your sin problem? The problem you have with keep leaning towards sin and you're bent towards those things and you need Christ you need Jesus see Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to face the penalty of sin that's why he died Jesus rose again so that you would have newness of life spiritual life and God says anyone anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is who he said he is, and believes in their heart, puts their faith, believes in their heart that that God raised him from the dead. He died, he was buried, and he rose again for you. You can be saved. That's where salvation comes from, in him and in him alone. This is what this world needs. This is what we, we need to know and remember well, Jesus is, is the source of, of life. He's the core of our spiritual life. Uh, he's the goal, ultimate goal of our lives. So maintain, he says, maintain a mindset that, that is consistent with these realities. Maintain a mindset, a perspective about life. Um, whether you're, you're at work or you're at home, uh, we often need to just lift up our eyes and remember, no wait, Jesus, this is who Jesus is and he's on the throne and and I have new life in him, and I, I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive in Christ. Uh, we need to remember these things, and Jesus is my life. Um, we, need, we need to remember these things. We, people talk about this way about things at times. You know, Jesus is my life. We're saying Christ is my life. Um, we, we say things like, you know, baseball's my life. Someone might say that, right? I mean, it's a good sport, but, I mean, <laughs> it's your life, and some people show it. 
Some people show it. Um, but maybe, maybe some more serious things. Oh, my daughter, she's, she's my life, some, someone might say. She's my life. She's everything to me. Or my career. My career is my life. And we show that in a lot of different ways. What if we shifted? Shifted our perspective, changed the way we think, and shifted our thoughts and set our mind on things above. Not just things above, but where Christ is. We set our mind on on him and would be able to say, Jesus is my life. He's everything I need. Apart from him, I have nothing, but, but with him, with him, I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. With him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. All the promises of God. With him, I'm seated with him in the heavenly places. With him, I'm a child of the living God. Even though on some days it doesn't really look like it. He's his son? Wow. Um, that's, that's how it feels at times. But this is what's, what's true. We need that shift in perspective to keep these things in mind. See that Christ is our life. Thirdly, and the last spiritual reality here in this section uh, to help us shape our, our perspective upward and in Christward is that the believer's future experience of glory is secure in Christ. The believer's future experience of glory is secure in Christ. And we'll be most brief here. Verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If, if our life is, is hidden in Christ, then when the end comes and Christ comes, and he is revealed for who he is, and he appears for who he is, well, so will we, because he's our life, he's saying. It will be revealed, and we'll be welcomed into glory. All things will come to fruition for you and for me if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ when he returns. As John says, when we see him, we will be made like him. Everything will come to pass that he's promised and it will be shown to us and the whole world that those who lived by faith now, today, in the things that are unseen will be welcomed into glory. (laughs) We'll have life and now finally in its absolute fullest expression. Indeed, as Paul said in chapter one, this is the great mystery. In Christ and Christ being united to us in us He is the hope of glory. He's the hope of glory. You can have hope and know that you will enter into glory with him and it'll come to pass when when he's revealed. The believer's future experience of glory is secure in Christ. These are the spiritual realities that that Paul wants us to keep in mind as as we set our minds on things above. Remember these things about Christ how we're connected to him and what he uh, has to offer for us. Let that shape our, our perspective. Let that shape our world view as we walk through this life. This is hard, right? This, this, isn't, this isn't easy. This is a, 
a daily task of repentance, a daily task of, of looking once again upward, and, and we, we get caught up in, in our days looking downward and looking at the things, the conditions here on earth, and whether that's in, in politics or in your job or whatever. This is hard, this is hard. You know, when walking through trials, especially in that moment, um, to live and to think Christward rather than according to our earthly status. It's difficult. You know, yeah. When seeking to, to provide for, for your family. Um, or in, in your great ambition as you, as you pursue to advance in your career and, and accrue wealth, um, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to get lost in the pursuit and forget your primary vision statement, that primary purpose statement that ought to be anchoring all your decisions and cutting some things out in your life and, and maintaining other things in your life. It's easy um, to forget you're not of this world and we have a citizenship in heaven. And there's a warning in here for, from, from Christ in his own words. Remember, he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Well, we have the answer. We, we have Christ. They say, I'd give it all up for him. Christian, what is your overall worldview filled with? What, what are you setting your mind on Christ or, or these earthly matters, you know, this is a struggle, and I, I know I, I do, I struggle in, in these ways, and it's easy to, you know, come home, and, and you get home from work, and you're just tired, and you, you, you now, the, the anchor for the rest of your day is comfort. <laughs> I want to be comfortable, um, and, and something happens between the kids, and you, you gotta, oh, I gotta correct this and change this, but, but if your, your anchor is comfort in that moment, uh, you're, you're just seeking for behavioral change. That They just need to stop. <laughs> Rather than Christ. Christ my anchor in that moment. Yeah, here's an opportunity. I could share Christ with the kids. I can, I can reach to their hearts and, and, and help them to see the things that they love and desire um, are pale in comparison to, to Jesus. This is hard to do on, on a daily basis in all these little moments. This is hard uh, to practice in our parenting and at work. It requires a regular shift in perspective. You know, am I regular seeking and setting my mind on the things of this earth for security, hope, purpose, holiness? Am I spending all my time, energy, and ambition, and thought life on, on this temporary hotel room, and that's all, that's all I'm doing, um, rather than looking upward, looking Christward. Well, we're, we're just like that child at the beginning uh, who lacks the proper motivation at times just to do simple things in this life, to clean up our room. Uh, it's difficult to walk in obedience and regularly go through trials and difficulty suffering with health or loss of a friendship and maintain these realities, the, the repentance of 
resetting our mind and resetting our mind and re-anchoring our, our goals in Christ. Who is sufficient for these things? Hopefully we'd say, well, none of us. <laughs> Praise be to God, right? Praise be to God. He's given you Jesus. God in his kindness, he's given you his son so that you have everything you need in life and godliness. Everything you need is in him. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Would you reorient your life this Sunday uh, to have Christ in, in the forefront, Christ uh, in your focus? You know, I'll just end by saying this. God calls us, God calls us to do this, right? It, we have two commands here, uh, to, to seek the things above and set your mind on uh, things above. This is, this is a command. We're called to obedience in this. Uh, but not, not simply, it's not simply just because we're supposed to. <laughs> Paul's not just saying, hey, you're supposed to be setting your mind here and you, you keep letting your mind drift. Get your mind back. Um, no, no, it's not just like that. But imagine it's more like you're, you're a thirsty hiker hiking in the desert. You've been out there for days. And he says, here, set your mind here. Here's Christ. Here's a cold, a cold glass of water. It's not like, you need a cold glass of water. It's like, yeah, of course, I know I do. Of course I do. But more, look to Christ. He's exactly what you need, and he's exactly what you've been wanting and, and thirsting for. Lift up your eyes and, and see Christ above uh, would you look to Christ today and this week? Would you pray with me?